Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, you might want to look in your bulletin as well. We're going to read from the King James this morning rather than the ESV. Uh, we're in a break from our series on Revelation, which is strength for today, hope for tomorrow, as we're looking at Christmas notes from Christmas carols. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign to you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us the very word of God. And Father, it's an old story, but the story's not old. Father, it's, it's new and it's your truth, Father. It's the good news for us as your people. So Father, take your words now and apply them to the way we think, Father, the way we live, Father, what we say, what we do, that you might be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Music and the glory of God go hand in hand. A creation, God's Word tells us that all, uh, that all the, the, the uh, stars sang together, the morning stars. And so not only does music display the glory of God, but it also declares the glory of God. Kathy Matea is my favorite country singer, uh, and she was talking in an interview last year uh, about the role music plays in our lives, and she made a statement that we are born to sing. It's a natural uh, uh, part of the way God made us. And so the people of God are a singing people. The Bible commands God's people to sing to Him, to sing praises to Him. So again, our singing is both a way to praise God, uh, as well as a good way to remember theology. Uh, that is, the great truths about God that uh, uh, the Bible teaches, and about His salvation for us. And songs are also a good way to, to declare hopes. And that's why the words that we sing are quite important. So Christmas carols are a way to remember the Christmas story. Uh, Some carols reflect on the first coming of Christ. Others are more about the second coming of Christ. And using specific hymns to focus on the incarnation uh, actually dates all the way back to the second century. In 129 AD, they were singing the hymn of the angels. And uh, from what seems to be the notes of it, it, it sounds a lot like angels we've heard on high. It was only in the 4th century that they began to really celebrate Christmas as such. 
Um, and that's when we find at the end of that century, the, uh, the oldest Christmas song that we still sing, and that is, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Uh, now keep in mind, over the centuries, singing in the church became done by the pastors, what joy that would be, and not by the people. And uh, I would sing to you in Latin, uh, not in English, though you might wish the other. But anyway, um, uh, and it was the return of congregational singing that was really one of the hallmarks of the Reformation in our own language. And so since uh, we're born to sing, and the church would not let the people sing in worship, then they would sing outside the church. Uh, and um, in the 12th century, a very prolific middle-aged uh, writer named Adam of Victor uh, wrote a group of Christmas hymns. Uh, it was Francis of Assisi, though, in the next century, who really got the people singing Christmas hymns, uh, what they could sing in the church, which they could not sing in the church. And so you have carols like God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, uh, dating from the 15th century, uh, that were uh, the carols of the countryside. They were songs from the heart. Uh, and so this carol became one of the most loved uh, of this time. And even though it's been sung since the 1400s, it's really not until 1760 that you'll find it written down for the first time. Uh, later, after the Reformation, Carol singing went into a decline for a while, especially uh, in the church, uh, because the Puritans didn't want you to celebrate Christmas. In fact, they made it against the law in some places. Uh, yet, the common folks still did, and they sang these carols across the countryside. But the carol singing so did not become mainstream as such until the early 19th century. So William Davies and uh, uh, Sandys rather and Davis Gilbert went across England and they gathered what the people were singing and published them for the first time in a book that led into the Victorian era. And so what about this particular carol? Uh, first, let's talk about the word origins. The word rest, if you sang it 500 years ago, you would tell people to keep. You wouldn't be telling them to go to sleep, all right? Uh, you'd be saying, keep this, remember this. Um, the word Mary comes from a word that originally meant a short time. As in, uh, you were having such a good time that this the time flew by. Uh, and today we'd probably use the word pleasant or satisfied uh, in a general way. But when they applied it to, to people's attitude, it came out as, uh, as, as cheerful, even jolly. All right, so that's your word, Mary. Uh, so the question is, uh, why does God keep us uh, how does he keep us pleasant, satisfied? How does he keep us merry? Let's go to the text and see. The first line of the carol, uh, the initial challenge is to let nothing you dismay. The scripture put it this way. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She gave birth to her firstborn child. They've been a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Uh, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not. Uh, now, why did, you, why did he say fear not? Not a hard question. It's because they were afraid. All right? Um, so, uh, here's something we need to realize. Fear is a common human state. And I dare say if any of us were out Outside of our homes in the middle of the night and an angel showed up, we would be afraid. All right. 
the online Bible app called YouVersion, which a lot of us use, does a verse of the year based on which verse is the most marked or most shared with other people. And this year's verse that came out on that was Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Why do you suppose that was the most marked verse, the most shared verse this year? It's because of the fear, the uncertainty in our world. Uh, The fear of COVID, perhaps the fear of the economy crashing, the fear of mistrust of leadership, whether we're talking about political or corporate or educational or the media. There's fear of the power of technology, which is a, a blessing to be sure in many ways, but has so much opportunity for abuse. So the angel's greeting, the admonition given these shepherds and the gentlemen is appropriate, and it's needed. So then why should we not be afraid? Well, first he says to remember his birth. For behold, I bring you the tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And our carol echoes that message by saying, Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. I dare say that night out in the fields, the furthest thing from the shepherds' minds was that an angel was going to show up. And furthermore, that that angel would, would talk with them, would say he had a message for them. I mean, that's stunning news to these shepherds. An angel announcing Messiah's birth to them. But what's truly incredible about it is the global aspect of this announcement. It's for all the people. This is not just a a Jewish Messiah. This is a Messiah, a Savior for the whole world. And that had to be mind-blowing for these shepherds who who probably had a, a rather small worldview. I mean, they probably lived their entire lives in this small geographical area. Though they certainly knew of the Roman Empire. Yet God chose to send His angel to these shepherds to announce Messiah. What an amazing display of God's mercy, God's uh, grace, God's God's love. Uh, A Messiah with an impact not just on Israel, but the whole world. Let's not forget what we've been seeing in Revelation. The birth of this child is part of a cosmic battle that's raging that has been raging since Satan was cast out of heaven before the world was created. Remember, Satan did everything he could to stop the birth of this child. Remember that one of the pictures Revelation gives us is that grotesque imagery of the dragon, Satan, poised to swallow the newborn Messiah. One of the popular Christmas songs in our culture is, Have Yourself a a Merry Little Christmas. The song appeals to us to to find our comfort and joy in the the, uh, simple surroundings of our homes and family, probably with a cup of hot chocolate or a glass of eggnog, um, when so much of the Christmas season is a a hurried blur of activity. In fact, some of you know we, we took that song and even had a sermon about it, except we made it what? Have yourself a merry, M-A-R-Y, Christmas. Uh, uh, Folks, not merry quietly, 
treasuring the humble events surrounding her son's birth and pondering her heart what it all meant that she held in her arms Messiah, the Son of God. And so I didn't want to do that. We want to be quiet. We want to reflect on uh, when, when we've rushed about to the point of exhaustion. A, a little Christmas sounds wonderful. But there's another side of it. Stop and think about it. Uh, in one sense, there's no such thing as a little Christmas. All right? I mean, this is the entrance of Jesus, the eternal God, into time and space history. If anything, Revelation has allowed us to, to a lens to see Christmas as a cataclysmic, earth-shattering event that engages not just the little town of Bethlehem, but the, but the whole cosmos. Viewed that way, there ought to be a, a song that says, "Have yourself a gigantic, global, universe-shaking Christmas." All right, there is simply no little Christmas. Why? Because this Messiah is a Savior. And He's come to save His people from their sins. The sin that has wreaked havoc on God's perfect creation. The sin that's brought warfare and conflict and ripped away peace and serenity. So our carol reminds us of why He came in the first hands. We're told that He came to save us all from Satan's power. Verse 3 of the, of, the, of the hymn tells us He's come to free us from Satan's power. And so we forget we live in a world that's held captive by sin. Uh, sin has brought devastation and destruction everywhere. Sin has brought disillusionment and death into our world. Sin's brought hatred and mistrust, lust and abuse, war and murder, lying and deceit. We need to be saved. Brothers and sisters, history is replete with examples of defiant people attempting to be their own Savior. You see it first with Cain, way back at the beginning. We see the Tower of Babel, an example of a, of a cultural mindset. A misguided rebellion against God and His Messiah that's described in Psalm 2. That somehow people think we can and will save ourselves. May I remind you, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, as, as Peter puts it in Acts 4.12. Only by the name of Jesus. Not Allah. Not Buddha. Not through Hinduism. Not through Mormonism. No government can save us. Not democracy. Not communism. Not socialism. Not totalitarianism. Not republicans. Not democrats. No climate action can save us. Gluing oneself to great works of art will not save us. Nuclear power, solar power, wind power, uh, gas, oil, coal, they will not save us. Uh, no worldview can save us. No amount of tolerance or inclusion can save us. Wishful thinking cannot save us. Technology cannot save us. Friends, even Elon Musk cannot save us. All right? Denying to God that we have gone astray and don't need to be saved, that cannot save us. Only Jesus saves. Only one name. And our set of revelations has been a constant reminder of that. 
And I'm not sure if you've noticed, maybe you have, but every communion Sunday since we started um, our state of revelation, our call to worship has been the same. Revelation 1, 5b and 6. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, it's all about Jesus. And we want, we must remember His birth. We must remember His power to save. Salvation is found in no other one than Jesus, Him alone. Our mission conference theme this coming spring will be the name above all names. So we want to remember our response to the angels' visit to the shepherds. First, what's the response of the angels? Suddenly there's with the angel, multitude of the heaven those praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, their joy at what they're announcing is evident. As the hillsides around Jerusalem are filled with the, the most spectacular light show in all of history. There's never been a fireworks display anywhere that matched what was showing in the heavens around Bethlehem that night. As the saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Then we have the shepherd's response. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let's go even now into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. Which the Lord's made known to us. And they came with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they'd seen it, they made known abroad the things which were told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had seen and heard, just as it was told them. Uh, and so it is uh, that the shepherds began telling everybody. And they glorified God. They responded with praise for what they'd seen and heard. That the angel's word was true. That's the response we should have. Worship of the living God for what He's done for us. Sharing the good news of Bethlehem. And so our song celebrates the tidings of comfort and joy that, that keep us merry. Uh, that, that keeps our lives pleasant and cheerful. Yes, even jolly perhaps in an ever-rebellious world. So in a world where people are fearful. In a world where people are uncertain. God's angel brings a message of comfort and joy to cheer us, to make us happy, to make us merry. Why is that? As God sees His people caught up in the misery of sin, He provides the ultimate solution. Now, it's not quite what they really had in mind. Their hope was for a warrior king who would come uh, and uh, drive the Romans out of the Middle East. You see, God knew that the ultimate need was 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 to break Satan's power. Not Rome's power. Not Moscow's power. Not Beijing's power. The word comfort takes our mind uh, back to Isaiah 40. Uh, with its dramatic opening in the, in the second half of Isaiah's great book. Isaiah in the first part of the book had said God's people would be taken into exile because of their sin. Uh, but then, as they also announces, they will come when God will bring them back. And so we read, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. 
that she has received in the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Handel's Messiah makes those words memorable to us. How's God going to bring His people back from exile? How's God going to pardon their iniquity? How's He going to forgive their sin? That's why Isaiah 40 introduces to us the coming of Messiah. The coming of the very one the angels sang about to the shepherds that night. Comfort. God has not forgotten His people. Comfort. God knows what the real problem is. Comfort. God's able to deal with the real problem of our sin. So it is, we read from Isaiah 12, uh, the first two verses, and these should have been in your bulletin. There's a glitch in the computer system, so Ben actually read verse chapter 42 to you, not his fault. Um, but Isaiah 12, 1 and 2 would say this, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. And then comfort leads to joy. Behold, God's my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So with the word joy, our mind races back to a number of Old Testament passages. Joy is deep-rooted contentment and satisfaction in God. We're going to explore that in a few weeks. Uh, joy is not dependent on circumstances but on God's presence, God's love, God's forgiveness of our sins. And so it is, we have great news to share with our world that comes from having a, a, a Savior born that night in Bethlehem. You know, it was an event that to the world was little. It was almost unnoticed by the watching world. To the world, it did appear to be a, a silent night. To Mary, to Joseph, the angels, to the shepherds. It was a holy night. But friends, we need to keep in mind it was a cataclysmic Christmas night worth celebrating and proclaiming as God rocks the universe with the birth of His Messiah in Bethlehem. So what about us today? Nearly 30 years ago, there was a popular song called The Song Remembers When. And the idea was uh, of that song was that there are certain songs that, that we always associate with certain events in our lives. Um, and that when we hear that particular song, it will remind us of some event or something that happened that we'd completely forgotten about, perhaps. Some memory in the past or, or a special memory that we have. And that's the power of song. Even when the mind begins to go. Uh, people remember the words to songs. Remember Sunday several years ago, uh, we were kicking off VBS that week, and so in the service we sang some children's songs. Uh, Bruce Birch was bringing his mother Emily still to church in those days. Uh, uh, dementia had robbed her of her mind, and she didn't know us and or anything, but she was here, and, and um, she usually had a blank look. But that Sunday, when we started singing those children's songs, that blank look changed. And a smile came to her face, and she began to sing. And I, I saw her look over at, at Bruce, um, a very merry smile beaming, she remembered. You know, my 97-year-old dad sometimes has trouble remembering what he had for dinner 10 minutes before. But you know, he can still sing the great hymns of the faith. 
and it's, um, you know, it's great comfort and joy. He proclaims great truths that he's believed his whole life. Um, uh, a faith in song, and he does it with a merry smile. In the Christmas Eve service for us brings uh, uh, special memories of Christmas past. And we sing those familiar carols like Silent Night. And I tell you, when we do, my mind runs to the people that, uh, I guess I should be thinking about Jesus, okay, I'm sorry here. Um, but my mind also runs to the people that, uh, that have sung that carol with across the years. You know, my parents, my, my home church, those dear saints that impacted my life when I was growing up, uh, the saints we sang with in Virginia, the ones we've sung with here for some 36 Christmases now, uh, uh, many of them are singing in the Lord's presence. It was hard not to have a tear in your eye on the on Christmas Eve uh, when those candles are, are, are and nobody can see what you're doing and the, and the lights are low. Uh, but we're singing about our hope as the people of God. And I don't know about you, but those same tears can come when we sing for all the saints who from their labors rest. Or those words went on that day when when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. The point uh, is not just to be nostalgic about song singing, but it's knowing there's a truth there that, that, that God keeps us merry by the comfort uh, and joy of knowing our sins are forgiven. Um, and we're freed from Satan's power. The sin that plagues us even now on a daily basis the cross has broken Satan's grip. Jesus has crushed Satan's head. And the victory we're about to see displayed in Revelation fills us with comfort and with joy and with hope. And so we can be married today. Uh, our lives on this planet, as it is right now, are quite short. Like the origin of the word Mary. Uh, but they can be pleasant and cheerful because of what we know. God's forgiveness of our sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not yet a believer, not yet a follower of Jesus, I would urge you to, 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 today to turn to Him. Uh, in this fearful world, he, he brings comfort. He brings joy. And He offers to keep you married for all eternity through the forgiveness of his, your sins through Jesus Christ. For those who are believers, it's important that we do remember what Christmas is all about. So we do want to pass the carols down to the coming generations because they remember when Jesus came the first time. They remember why He came. And they remember that He's coming again. And so we have these carols. They're a ready-made proclamation to the world. Secular radio and, and the malls will play God rest you merry gentlemen. So people hear that Christ our Savior has been born to free us from our sins and Satan's power. And then as we sing carols, they offer genuine heartfelt praise to God for, for what He's done. And they give us a, a personal grip on the truth of the incarnation. God in the flesh. Truth we can sink our teeth in. Truth that reminds us of constantly of God's love and grace. And yes, yeah, sometimes there's a poetic license. Uh, we already sang this morning, the shepherds uh, came on a cold winter's night, and, and uh, we're going to sing in a moment that the shepherds traveled through tempest, storm, and wind. 
And I realize Luke says nothing about the weather. I understand that. Uh, uh, but you know, the poets are trying to get us to see the, the desperate situation people are in in a fallen world. And the ever-expanding library of the world's music, there are a plethora um, of silly and sentimental Christmas songs. But I'm glad there are these carols that we can sing that tell the story, the Christmas story, so we can keep on singing. And no, Ebenezer Scrooge didn't want to hear them sing, God rest you merry, gentlemen, early in Dickens' Christmas carol. But by the end he did. He was delighted at the joy and the hope expressed that first time uh, it was sung. So my prayer for us is, indeed this morning, God rest us merry, one and all. Let nothing dismay us. We've got to remember that Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. What tidings of comfort and joy. Let's pray. Father, the message of Christmas fills us with hope today. Uh, that Christ has saved us from the power of Satan. Christ has freed us from Satan's grip by shedding His blood on the cross. So Father, help us to, uh, to take great delight in what Christ has done for us today. To great get comfort, Lord, to find great joy in the good news, the good tidings of what Christ has done. Lord, if anybody here does not yet know uh, you as Savior and Lord, doesn't know your Son, Father, today you show them, Father, the, the true meaning of Christmas, Lord, the true meaning of Christ's death and resurrection. Father, the true opportunity for the forgiveness of sins that separates us from you. Father, commit us to remember the truth, to proclaim the truth, to cherish the truth, to dwell upon the truth, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.